Another day, another bombshell. A German newspaper is reporting that Iran, back in 2013, Iran supplied Hezbollah with ammonium nitrate. Ammonium nitrate, does that chemical compound sound familiar? I'm not talking just a few pounds of this stuff. Iran supplied over 600 tons of ammonium nitrate to Hezbollah. Now, isn't that a strange coincidence? That story's coming up. So last night was the big night, the long-awaited night, Joe Biden's acceptance speech. And here's my analysis. Joe Biden, get ready, Joe Biden gave a good speech, okay? I'm going to concede that right off the bat. Was it a great speech? I mean, was it like another JFK? Certainly not even close, although the media would have you believe it is. It was a good speech. Joe Biden, I concede he did better than I expected. He gave the speech live, unlike most of the speeches, unlike Michelle Obama, who taped it weeks ago, taped it before Kamala. Michelle Obama speaks at the convention, and she doesn't even know who the running mate is because they haven't been chosen yet. And the media, of course, just gushes over her. But anyway, Joe Biden gave a better speech than I think most of us expected him to give. It was well delivered. It was well written. Not that he had anything to do with writing it. Was it a reincarnation of JFK, of Martin Luther King Jr. like the media is pretending? Certainly not. But it was brave of Biden to to go live and not give it recorded, considering all the potential blunders. So I will give him credit. I'm sure he's delivered he delivered it 712 times. I'm sure that's all he's been doing in his basement for all these weeks. But it was still pretty brave. And I think the campaign, I think they were shaking. I think that they were very jittery, but he insisted. Now, if President Trump delivers this speech, the media, all right, that was all the positive. Now for the negative. The media would be picking this apart. They would be finding everything negative if if Trump delivered the exact same speech verbatim. But it's Biden. Biden's not supposed to be able to string two sentences together. So the media is praising him endlessly. And they say he crushed expectations. And this is what happens. This is what we were afraid of. When you set the bar so low and you act as though Joe Biden can't remember his own name, he gets out there, gives a decent speech, and suddenly he's the greatest orator in history. Let me read you some quotes here from an AP story. This is not an op-ed. This is the AP supposed to be reporting the facts. Quote, in his strongest remarks of the campaign, Biden spoke both of returning the U.S. to its traditional leadership role in the world and the deeply personal challenges that shaped his life. Virtually every sentence of his 22-minute speech was designed to present a sharp yet hopeful contrast with the Republican incumbent. That is the AP. That is not an op-ed. This is supposed to be the AP being journalists and objective. Quote, virtually every sentence of the speech was designed to present a sharp yet hopeful contrast with the Republican incumbent. That sounds very opinion-like to me. And here's a quote. I'll read you the quotes here, some excerpts from his speech in a moment. But listen to this line from the AP. Trump publicly doubts Biden's mental capacity and calls him slow Joe, but with the nation watching, he was firm and clear. So that's not an op-ed. That's uh, the actual AP news story, but it reads like a left-wing op-ed piece. Now, the speech was not even close to a President Trump caliber speech. I want to be clear. Trump takes politics to a whole new level because he actually discusses specifics. Trump is real. He's human. It's not just a bunch of empty platitudes and fluff okay I, you know, I was listening to this speech with my wife and you know my wife said to me I, I said this is a pretty good speech and my wife said it's okay but it like doesn't even hold a candle to Trump because it's literally 22 minutes of fluff it's 22 minutes with no specifics with almost zero substance he had a few good lines a few sharp lines but like not one detail not one plan nothing this speech was totally empty and you know who I'm really upset at is Fox News. Fox News, they're a bunch of sellouts because they gushed over 
this Biden speech. Chris Wallace, he called it enormously effective. He said, quote, Donald Trump has been talking for months about Joe Biden as mentally shot. I thought he blew a big hole in that characterization. Trump is going to have to run against a candidate, not a caricature. Britt Hume, who's usually pretty conservative, he praised Biden. He called the speech very good, delivered with force and clarity. Dana Perino, who's a Fox News host, she used to be uh, George Bush's press secretary. She said Biden just hit a home run in the bottom of the ninth. He had pace, rhythm, energy, emotion, and delivery. I think if he looks back, he's got to say that was probably the best speech of his life. Best speech of his life. You go back and look at some old videos or listen to old audios of Joe Biden. Maybe we should dig some up. This was not even close to the best speech of his life. He's a shell of his former self and shocking that a former Bush staffer, a Fox News host, is talking like this about Biden. Carl Rove, who used to be a George Bush advisor, said Biden's speech was an excellent end to the convention. Why is Fox News, why are they gushing over Joe Biden? I suspect they're desperate. They want to be relevant. They want the Biden campaign to give them interviews, even if it's not with Biden, who they're hiding in his cave. They want Kamala Harris. They want a lot of Biden spokespeople. They're terrified of being sidelined by the Democrats. If I had to guess, I have no idea. Peggy Noonan of the Wall Street Journal uh, she's she wrote a conserv she's a conservative. She wrote an op-ed, and she says that the Democrat convention was lacking any meaning. Essentially, she says it has no message. There was no message. It was just a bunch of zingers against President Trump. Let me read you some quotes here from Peggy Noonan. Missing was any hint of priorities or plans, the meaning of the party or its intentions. This is, by the way, not just about last night, but about the entire convention. They made the case against Donald Trump and a case for Joe Biden as an essentially decent person, but they did not say what they'll do. And this year, that is key. I'm not sure they're sufficiently aware, she says, of the number of people who do not like Mr. Trump and will vote for him anyway. They don't have to be talked into thinking he's a bad character. They're already on board. This is very interesting. Peggy Noonan making a case. She says, they're going to sit here and blast and tell people how bad President Trump is. She's like, there are people out there who they're more than willing to concede. Yeah, Trump is bad, but I'm going to vote for him anyway because he does a lot of good things for me and for my life and for the country. Let me let me read you from Peggy Noonan here. Quote, all summer I've been running into two kinds of people. One kind says that man is a living shame on our country and must be removed. The other kind says very little. They don't defend him. They say, I cannot believe I may vote for him, but dot, dot, dot. And always they explain it this way. Quote, what the other guys are going to do on taxes, what the other guys will do to my industry, what the Democrats will do to the economy. I'm getting the impression that for a lot of people, the ballot this fall will not read Trump versus Biden, but Trump versus what the other guys will do. And I want you to keep in mind that John Kerry, back in 2004, he gave literally the speech of his lifetime. John Kerry gave a phenomenal speech in 2004. I, th I was worried when he gave that speech. I thought, uh oh. This is over. Maybe he has a chance of beating Bush. Remember, Bush was very unpopular then because of the Iraq war, despite him, him leading the country after 9-11. Uh, and uh, J John Kerry's speech in 2004 was forgotten in about 12 minutes. I mean, literally three, four days later, nobody remembered it. Mitt Romney gave an amazing speech in 2012. And he, of course, got crushed by Obama in that election. Let me read you some quotes from Biden. And think about this as I read you these quotes. Number one. I thought that it was pretty good. I, you know, whoever wrote this, they actually did a, a very good job. A lot more substance, not the same old rhetoric. It was very positive. But then think about, does he give one specific, one detail? I mean, this man has been in Washington for, what, 48 years? Has he accomplished anything? Has any accomplishment other than bringing about the deal between Israel and the UAE by being so nasty to Israel? We'll get to that in a moment. 
quote, the current president has cloaked America in darkness for much too long, too much anger, too much fear, too much division. Here and now, I give you my word. If you entrust me with the presidency, I will draw on the best of us, not the worst. I will be an ally of the light, not of the darkness. Make no mistake, united we can and will overcome this season of darkness in America. We will choose hope over fear, facts over fiction, fairness over privilege. I will be proud to carry the banner of our party into the general election. Uh, that that It's a moment that calls for hope and light and love, hope for our futures, light to see our way forward, love for one another. America is not just a collection of class that, clashing interests of red states or blue states. We're much bigger than that. And uh, you know, then he says... Uh, this campaign isn't just about winning votes. It's about winning the heart, the soul of America, winning it for the generous, generous among us, not the selfish, winning it for the workers who keep this country going, not just the privileged few at the top, winning for those communities who have known the injustice of the knee on the neck, for all the young people who have known only an America of rising inequity and shrinking opportunity. They deserve to experience America's promise in full. Look, it's obviously a very liberal message, and I could go on and on here, but again, there's just like nothing here. It's just fluff. There is nothing. It's really, really high-level, high-caliber fluff. They did a really good job of writing, you know, very good fluff. Zero substance, zero details. And by the way, he has this slogan, Joe Biden, build back better. I don't know if that's like the official campaign slogan, but I keep hearing it again and again. It makes me cringe. I mean, this is a cringeworthy build back better, forgetting all the Bs. Build back better? I mean, they're trying to compete with Make America Great Again with MAGA with Build Back Better. They can shorten it the way MAGA is shortened into MAGA from Make America Great Again. Build Back Better becomes buh buh buh. You know, it could be buh 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 Biden. All right, so let's get to this bombshell story here. A German newspaper is reporting, a daily newspaper, that Iran supplied Hezbollah with hundreds of tons of ammonium nitrate in 2013. Ammonium nitrate, of course, is the chemical which blew up in Beirut. That massive, massive explosion, over 2,700 tons of ammonium nitrate. But get this. So Iran, the, the Quds Force in Iran, the terror group Quds Force in Iran, actually gave Hezbollah, according to this newspaper, which is quoting Western intel officials, uh, hundreds and hundreds of tons of ammonium nitrate. And that's the stuff that was being stored. And there were warning after warning by customs people that this explosive, dangerous explosive was being stored at the port. But nobody did anything. You know why? Because Hezbollah controls Lebanon. Hezbollah, there's a terror group literally controlling the country. And now their own chemical has blown up like half, you know, a huge chunk of Beirut. And uh, where's the media on this? It's outrageous. So it turns out Hezbollah has a long history of possessing ammonium nitrate. This is not like one random isolated report here. This is has been well publicized in the media. Um, and do we have any doubt? The media keeps tiptoeing around Hezbollah. Well, we have no evidence that Hezbollah was the one that b behind the ammonium nitrate that blew up. They keep like being afraid. Allegedly, they use that word allegedly all the time. They don't. They use the word allegedly more about Hezbollah and about terrorist groups than they do about President Trump. But uh, there's no doubt here. So it turns out that Hezbollah they had. Uh, they, they, again, they were given 670 tons of ammonium nitrate in 2013 by the terrorist Quds Force. That's being reported in this German paper. And they were allegedly planning to use it in tunnels that they were digging into Israel. They were literally going to bring that into tunnels, uh, through, into, through tunnels into Israel to use against Israel. And he, there are other incidents in London in 2015. Based on a Mossad tip, British intelligence found four Hezbollah operatives who had three tons of ammonium nitrate in flour sacks. And they, uh, British, British intelligence caught them 
thanks to the Mossad. In Germany, Hezbollah operatives were discovered with enough ammonia nitrate to blow up a city. I mean, and this so this explosion obviously was caused by Hezbollah. I'm not saying Hezbollah intentionally blew up Beirut. It might have been, you know, some kind of mishap, but it's cl- clearly they're the ones who are culpable. There's no doubt about that. And the media, of course, is acting. That there's an there are investigations, not just the media. You know, uh, the even the United States government is being very, very cautious here. Don't want to point any fingers, but everybody secretly here knows what happened. The Lebanese people know it better than anybody. That's why the country right now is on the brink of civil war. Ambassador David Friedman. This happened last week. I wanted to mention this. Ambassador David Friedman, U.S. Ambassador to Israel, uh, he was asked, uh, he was interviewed by Breitbart News, and he was asked about uh, the deal between Israel and the UAE. And we told you Joe Biden tried to take credit. That same day that it happened, Joe, Joe Biden is talking about how it was a result of multiple administrations' hard work and how he personally spoke with the leaders of Israel and the UAE as though Biden himself, you know, Biden may actually think that he's the one who brokered this deal. We don't know. But here's the thing about uh, Joe Biden. Uh, David Friedman says the only reason Joe Biden gets the credit is because he was so bad and so hostile to Israel, which was exactly the point that we made. Uh, Friedman said, quote, I think the credit that Biden deserves is they were so bad and so hostile to Israel and the Emirates, it caused both of them to commiserate a little bit, which was something we were able to take advantage of when the when President Trump took office. So to that extent, I think the Obama policy was so terrible that it probably created more of a commonality of interest between Israel and the Emirates, end quote. Meanwhile, there are some Arab countries that are ducking away from rumors that they are going to be next in line to cut a peace deal with Israel. The Saudi foreign minister insists that the Saudis will not recognize Israel's right to exist until Israel makes peace with the Palestinians. This was on Wednesday. Saudi Foreign Minister Faisal bin Farhan said, quote, Saudi Arabia maintains its policy of not making ties with Israel officials until there is peace with the Palestinians. Now, I'm not convinced, based on everything we've heard from Jared Kushner, and look, the UAE, that sort of came out of nowhere. So what they do is they send out these kind of floaters. They try to get a feel. They don't announce anything until it's already a done deal because of the immense backlash. Right now, the UAE is under a lot of pressure. They're getting a lot of backlash from a lot of other Arab countries. So the fact that the Saudis don't want to admit it doesn't surprise me. But I suspect before Election Day, the Saudis and others will do what the UAE did with Israel. Now, meanwhile, a spokesman for Sudan was fired because he suggested that Sudan may be making peace with Israel. Now, what's interesting about this story, he was fired. But that actually tells me that, you know, why would he make a comment? I'll read you the quote here in a moment. Obviously, there's some basis here. There's no way he's just making it up out of thin air. Hadar Badawi was fired. He was a spokesman for Sudan's foreign ministry. He said Sudan is looking forward to concluding a peace agreement with Israel. So I suspect that Sudan, this is going to happen in the next few weeks. He was quoted by Sky News. He said, quote, there is no reason to continue hostility between Sudan and Israel. We don't deny that there are communications. And then he was fired. So to me, that actually is a good sign. That tells me that he's onto something. Meanwhile, as I said, the UAE is facing intense backlash from a lot of the Arab world. And that shows you they knew that would happen. It shows you how badly they need Israel and how badly they need President Trump because they've really alienated a lot of their friends. All right, there's a new story from the AP. You know, what suddenly, how did this all come about, this peace deal between Israel and the UAE? And they give some interesting details, so I wanted to share that. 
it, it really began, there was a summit in Warsaw, which was about Iran. You may remember a bunch of Western countries and the Arabs and Israel got together uh, at a summit in Warsaw back in 2019 to discuss the threat of Iran. And that summit was boycotted by the Palestinians, but Israel attended and the Arabs attended. And I believe Jared Kushner attended. And the countries discussed the fact that the threat of Iran was such a big priority and so dangerous that it overshadowed the Palestinian issue. So basically, these countries right there decided that they cared more about their own survival than, than about the Palestinians. The Palestinians, they're like this, this annoying group of people that kind of gets in everybody's way. And they were really interfering with what with the best interest of UAE and other and other Arab countries who were worried about Iran because they could not work together with Israel in any official capacity because the Palestinians were like a thorn in their side. Also, Congress actually banned the UAE and other Arab countries from buying U.S. weapons. That was as in response to uh, to operations that were conducted in Yemen. There's a war going on in Yemen, and the UAE and other countries were involved in that, and that violates human rights. The Saudis are involved in that. So Congress actually punished the UAE and other Arab countries for violating human rights. They said, you can't buy U.S. weapons. Well, the UAE and these countries, they very much want U.S. weapons, and President Trump, he vetoed those bans, and he sold weapons to those countries. And Trump basically made a decision along with Jared Kushner, look, let's let the Arabs kill each other, but we need them on our side, and we need them to make peace with Israel, and we need them to stop defending the Palestinians. And now these Arab countries, they are so beholden to Trump because Trump has given them so much of what they wanted, which the Democrats did not allow them to have. All Obama did and Biden they kept propping up Iran, giving Iran billions of dollars, allowing them to develop their uh, missiles, not, not, not technically not develop, not uh, enrich uranium yet for another few years, but do, do a lot of uh, the other ingredients they need for their nuclear program. And meanwhile, Obama crushed these other Arab countries and Trump stepped in and said... This is all backward, and it was an absolutely brilliant strategy, and it was conjured up by Jared Kushner, who's a businessman. Well, what does he know about foreign policy? Well, it turns out a businessman is exactly the type of person you need to bring peace between countries that are vicious enemies. All right, an opponent of Vladimir Putin has been poisoned. I wanted to discuss this yesterday, but we ran out of time. Vladimir Putin, this is what he does. He poisons his political enemies, his political opponents. I shouldn't even use the word enemies. The people who criticize the Kremlin, who criticize Vladimir Putin, literally his political opponents, they poison, Vladimir Putin poisons them. This has happened many, many times. It's, it's horrifying. And the man is in grave condition. He's a Kremlin critic and opposition leader, Alexei Navalny. He's been hospitalized and he's in very, very bad shape. He's in grave condition. He's on a ventilator in ICU. He became sick during a flight and his team suspects that he was poisoned last year while he was sitting in prison. So Vladimir Putin once again has poisoned yet another one of his political opponents. It's just like the Soviet Union. You know, for those people who act as though like Vladimir Putin, like it's a, it's a democracy. I mean, Russia is anything but a democracy. It's very similar to the Soviet Union was all the same Soviet tactics. Vladimir Putin was a former uh, KGB agent, but they just do a better job of covering it up. And it's not the Soviet Union. It's just Russia by itself. But, you know, just realize Russia and China are two of the most evil regimes imaginable. And the Washington establishment, the Democrats, and even the Republicans did nothing about it. Obama-Biden did nothing about Russia, nothing about China. Yeah, a few sanctions that Obama put. He kicked out a few Russian diplomats. But 
pitifully little. And, of course, Obama knew that Russia was interfering with the election in 2016. He did nothing because he didn't want to mess up. They thought Hillary was going to win. Joe Biden defends China, and, 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 and he mocks Trump for talking about how big a threat China is. So you have Russia who tried to interfere with the election in 2016. They created turmoil in this country. That doesn't absolve the Democrats. Uh, the Democrats are very, very much to blame for what they did to Trump uh, in response to the whole Russia collusion thing, fabricating that whole narrative. But the Russians were still, they, they literally destroyed the, uh, the, you know, the aftermath of the election 2016. The, Ru the Russians, what they have done to the United States, they've really created turmoil and chaos, which is exactly what they tried to do. They supported Trump and Bernie Sanders. So it's not about the politics of it. The Russia, they just wanted turmoil, and boy, did they get it. And China gave us this deadly pandemic. And now they're both stopping, trying to stop President Trump. He's reimposing sanctions on Iran to prevent Iran from obtaining weapons because that arms embargo is expiring thanks to Obama. And Russia and China, these two evil regimes, are preventing Trump. They're allowing Iran to possibly to obtain very, very d dangerous and deadly weapons. And yet Russia and China have been ignored. I mean, I don't trust anybody other than Trump to deal with the threats coming from Russia and China. Can you imagine if Biden were elected? I mean, Russia and China, they could just run rampant. Joe Biden wouldn't know, wouldn't care, or, or any other president for that matter. Really, they've all done pitifully way too little. President Trump is the only one, I think, with the courage to take them on. All right, that's going to do it for the day, for the week, and we will see you next time.